At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Well, good morning. It is great to be here worshiping with all of you today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I know it probably looked a little different for a lot of people here, maybe most of you. I know it uh, certainly did in my household. Um, But it was still a great time to just reflect and remember, despite everything that's been going on, just how much we have to truly be thankful for. And there is so much. And, uh, and now that the Thanksgiving holiday is officially over, you all have permission to put up your Christmas trees and your decorations, if you haven't already. <laughs> Some of you launch right into that. Um, because we are now entering into the Advent season. Right? This is that time when we specifically begin counting down the weeks and focusing our attention toward the coming of Christ in the Christmas story as we lead into the season of Christmas. So do make sure you grab one of those devotionals uh, on your way out to bring home, to share it. If you don't want the the paper one, uh, you can, of course, subscribe and receive it digitally by email or text message. That's always an option for you. But I love this time of year. I love this time of year for for so many reasons. I love the smell of the greens, you know, the, the pines, and on all those kinds of smells that, that begin filling our home. Uh, I love sitting by a crackling fire, sipping some hot cocoa, watching Christmas classics on the TV. Die hard, right? We all have them. Christmas story, you name it. Such a wonderful time. Now listen, I'll admit, I don't love the snow. Uh, not my favorite thing. Don't get me wrong, I like a dusting. I like a little bit. Like, it looks pretty. It glistens in the sunlight. I just don't want inches of it, let alone, like, feet, you know, getting dumped on us at any one time. Um, But probably most of all, I love what we call the Christmas spirit, right? This, this, This thing that happens to us at Christmas time where people just seem to set aside their own selfishness for just a little bit, and they begin to focus on loving and giving to others. I love this time. Now, I'm curious, just by show of hands real quick, how many people here love wrapping Christmas presents? There are a few of you, okay. For a lot of people, I know this is not your favorite thing to do. (laughs) This is a chore that must be undertaken in addition to all the other things you have, folding clothes and putting them away and all this kind of stuff. And if you don't like wrapping presents, that doesn't mean you're a Grinch. In my eyes, at least, I think it just means you're maybe a little too practical about this thing, right? I mean, you don't like paying even more money for paper and bags and things on top of the presents themselves when it's just the paper that, let's be honest, the person's going to tear into like a savage anyway, right? It seems like a waste. It seems like it just creates a lot of unnecessary stuff. Um, So you think, you know, what's the point of all this? And my wife would be laughing if she was here too because she's one of those people. She just, she'll say like, here's your gift. Sorry, I didn't wrap it. Um, But there is a point to the way that we give gifts this time of year. In fact, there there are reasons that we wrap presents. And maybe you haven't really thought about this. I know I didn't really give it too much thought before I kind of looked into this. Uh, The obvious reason is aesthetics, right? I mean, we want them to look pretty, especially if we're piling a bunch of these things around our tree, 
We don't want it to look like a big mess. So they do look nice, but beyond the glittering foil and the wrapping paper that's involved, the wrapping of a gift also creates a sense of mystery, right? Suspense, this, this anticipation. I mean, what is it? What could possibly be there? And I think that's really where we get the, the magic of gift giving and receiving in this sense of mystery that comes because both the giver and the recipient of this gift get to enjoy the process as this gift is then unwrapped, right? I mean, think about it. Obviously, the recipient doesn't know or shouldn't know what they are going to get, but the giver of the gift does, and yet the giver of the gift still enjoys this process, being one step ahead of the recipient, knowing what's inside, but watching them as they unfold the paper, as they begin to see what is finally inside. And so, it becomes an eager expectation for both people involved. Both people are opening, uh, enjoying this gift as it is opened and, and received by the other person. Uh, I found myself caught in the world of YouTube recently and watching their suggested videos, and, and I, I saw a video of a young boy who was opening a very large uh, gift box. And so he unwrapped the paper, he took off the lid, he threw out paper, and there was another box. Anyone have those kind of gifters? <laughs> so he opens up this box and he gets in there, he tears it up, and inside that box is another box. <laughs> and it was kind of frustrating a little bit because he's expecting something other than just another box, but at the same time, the anticipation is building, right? With each box that gets open, what is the ultimate goal? What, what are we getting at in this, this mysterious gift that has been given? And so eventually, after all this hard work of unwrapping this intricate nest of boxes, uh, what's it going to be? Is it, is it a new cell phone? Could it be the newest video game system, PS5? Anybody? What is it? And when this boy opened the last box, inside was a sheet of paper. And the boy looked at it in disbelief and cried. And so did everyone standing around him and myself because the paper inside this box was a copy of his adoption certificate. It was being gifted to him. And so if you ever want a good cry this holiday season, you don't need Hallmark movies, it turns out, or anything like that. Just look Adoption Surprise on YouTube and it will not disappoint you, I promise. And I mention all of this because it's really illustrative of the gift that we then have in Jesus. Christians have always maintained that Jesus is the greatest gift that God has ever given the world. But the way that he gives it is really important because it was carefully wrapped in the scriptures over thousands of years, creating mystery and suspense and anticipation. And just like that nest of boxes that we talked about, there are layers that we then need to unwrap that we need to unpack in order to fully understand our own adoption into the family of God through Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And so that's exactly what we're going to do in this Christmas series, which we've titled Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished. Each week, we are going to unwrap. We are going to unpack one of God's glorious covenants so we're going to look at God's covenant with Noah, Abraham, Israel, and David, each one building upon the last, uh, revealing more and more about who God is and who we are in light of who God is. 
And then ultimately, we are going to look at the new covenant brought to us by Jesus Christ. And so, if you haven't already, please join me in your Bibles uh, or your smart devices. Feel free to turn those on, get your Bible app, and, and find yourself in Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. And while you find your place there, uh, I think the, the most appropriate thing to do, the first thing that we need to do is define what a covenant is and maybe what it isn't. Um, because it's a word that just isn't really used much in our own vocabulary from day to day. Um, So what is a covenant? Well, it's important because this word shows up over 300 times in our Bible, and seven times in our passage today. I mean, seven times. So we want to understand what this is. What is a covenant? If you look at a Bible dictionary, a covenant is defined as a solemn agreement between two or more people groups uh, or peoples, in order to fulfill uh, certain stated obligations toward each other. Now, it's kind of wordy. I think the the Webster's Dictionary does a fine job of condensing this in their definition. They say simply, a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement. Uh, And so as we process this definition, as we try to put it into terms that, that we know and we understand on a daily basis, it's tempting then to think about this in terms of a contract. But a covenant is not a contract, and this is important. A covenant is not a contract because it is so much more, okay? Think about it. Uh, A contract, uh, they're they're both binding in in a way, but a contract is binding legally, and a covenant is binding spiritually. A contract can be broken, but a covenant is for life, by definition. A contract is typically an exchange of, of one thing, one service, one good for another, But a covenant is more of a giving of oneself to another. And so the closest thing that we have to this in human terms, in our everyday reality, is marriage, right? The covenant of marriage. That's why we say marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. It is a spiritually binding covenant. It is one that is witnessed before your friends and family and before God. And the vows that you take are until death do you part. It is for life. It's not if you do this, if you do that. As long as you continue to look this way, then I will love you. No, it is a solemn vow that you will give yourself wholly and completely to this person. And then they then make the same vow back to you. It's a beautiful thing. It's it's why we are so protective of the covenant of marriage. And so keep that in mind as as we look at these covenants. They're not just contracts. They're not simply promises because they are elevated, because they are so much more than that. And we're going to begin by looking at the covenant that God makes with Noah, or what we call the Noahic covenant. Uh, And I know many of you are familiar with the story of Noah and the ark. Uh, It's very common, but let me just summarize it briefly here, because I want to just iterate that this is not really a, a children's bedtime story, Um, although we tend to kind of think of it that way, right? I mean, I know we read it to our children and they love it, right? Why? Because there's animals in it, right? And they're cute. They love it. They love the story. In fact, you may have even decorated your nursery like this one, right? I mean, it's cute, right? But in reality, what we are talking about is probably more like this. Right? If you can see this picture, this is a work by French artist Gustave Doré. And you see both man and animals 
clinging to this rock, this high ground for dear life. In fact, they're actually trying to push their children up to the higher ground to save their life as the waters continue to rise. And so just to be clear, what we are talking about is probably the most tragic and terrifying stories of God's wrath and judgment against sin in the Bible, or at least the Old Testament. Okay, and so by way of review, very quickly, this is the story of Noah. After the fall of man, sin entered into humanity through Adam and Eve, and sin did what sin does. It consumed. It spread. It grew like a cancer, getting bigger and bigger within humanity until eventually, in Genesis 6, we read this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the very thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. Just two verses later in verse 11, it says, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And then something special happens. We are treated to, we are are given this glimpse into God's heart. And what we see as we read this is that this grieved the Lord It hurt his heart. He was not pleased with the sinful state of the world. And so it's out of his passion to preserve the goodness of his creation that God decides he's going to wash the world clean with a flood. You see, hope is not lost in this. God is not going to abandon humanity forever. Instead, a man named Noah finds favor in God's sight. And so God tells him what's going to happen. He exposes the the plan, everything to him, and he actually instructs Noah in building this large vessel, a boat or an ark, one that is large enough to fit his family as well as at least two of all the animals. And Noah is obedient in doing this. Despite being mocked and ridiculed by everyone around him, Noah builds this ark. And you have to understand this, that up until this point in the story, as far as we know, There was no such thing as rain. The Bible says that God cared for his creation because a mist would come over the ground to water the plants. They had never seen anything like this. So there is just, there is no context for what is about to happen. And so the people around Noah look at what he's doing and they're like, you're crazy. You are never going to get this thing out to sea, man. We're too far away. It's too big. And Noah tries to warn them. He preaches to them. He he tells them everything, and, and they just don't listen. And eventually, God's patience comes to an end. And God himself closes the door to the ark. God's judgment is going to come. Now, Noah and his family, along with all of these animals, are saved from the flood. But realize, again, that means everything else. Everything else was completely destroyed. And so Noah is, of course, thankful, right? He, he is thankful for God's grace and his mercy, having preserved them through this incredible flood and eventually bringing them to safety, to dry ground. And so the first thing he does after leaving the ark is offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so that brings us right up to Genesis chapter 9, where God tells Noah, just like Adam before him, to be fruitful and to multiply, to to fill the earth. And then God makes a covenant with Noah. 
And so let's read this together. Genesis chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 8. It says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. And so the first thing we want to take notice of is who is included in this covenant. And so that's our first point. Who are the covenant recipients? Who are the covenant recipients? You see, there are really two kinds of covenants that we see in Scripture. There are mutual or bilateral covenants, and then there's unilateral covenants. Uh, so a mutual covenant is when there are obligations to be met by, two, by both parties, by both people involved in the covenant. Sometimes these are con- considered conditional covenants. You may have heard it in that terminology. Because this is when God says something like, if you do this, then I... I will bless you in certain ways. And so both parties in the covenant have expectations. They have obligations that are to be met. God is giving himself to the people, and the people are then expected to devote themselves to God. In fact, most of the biblical covenants we see are like this. However, there are unilateral covenants as well when only one party is obligated by it, and that's what we see here. God makes a covenant with Noah, but not just Noah, his family, and everyone who would descend from them. In other words, all of humanity, but not just Noah and all of humanity. In fact, every living thing on the planet. Now, why is this important? Because almost every other covenant that we see is between God and a select group of people because they are his elect. They are his chosen ones, the ones that he wants to have relationship with. But this covenant is not limited to God's people. This covenant is made by God to everyone and everything. That means your neighbor, your coworker, your long distant relatives, even the most pagan, most antagonistic atheist shaking their very fist at the thought of a God is a beneficiary of this covenant. Whether they recognize it or not, they are a beneficiary of this amazing covenant with God. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. God promising, obligating himself to all of creation with no strings attached, by the way. No expectations, no requirements to be met. Just a one-way street of God's grace, mercy, and provision for all. Okay, so that's who this covenant is made with. But what exactly is this covenant that we're talking about where all of creation gets to partake, all of creation gets to enjoy the grace, mercy, and provision of God, even if they don't even know it? Well, that's our second point we want to look at today. What is the covenant promise? What is this covenant promise? Look at verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, why is this important? Well, put yourself in Noah's shoes. What he has just witnessed is the earth being destroyed. Every living thing obliterated by water. What's going to happen the next time it begins to rain? Yeah, 
panic, right? <laughs> oh no, what do we do? What did we do wrong? Who, who offended God? Is, is this God bringing his judgment against us? Once again, what do we have to do this time? What must we do to be saved this time? And so what does God do? He enters into this unilateral covenant where only he is held accountable saying, I will never, ever again bring this kind of destruction. And God is emphatic about this. He doesn't say it once. He doubles down, repeating himself twice in the same verse. And as if that wasn't enough, he says it again later on in this passage. Why? So Noah and his family, so all of their offspring, generation after generation, listen, so all of you can have peace and rest despite the rains, despite the storm. When the storm clouds come, you don't need to panic knowing that God will never do this again. Now, God actually takes this one step further. Because not only does God promise never to flood the earth again, he also promises his provision for the future as well. Now listen to what God says in Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. In other words, what God is saying is that humans can expect certain constants in the world, natural rhythms that don't change. And so you understand that we're still living under the grace, the mercy, and the provision of this covenant today, right? We, we still expect there to be a spring, a summer, a fall, and a winter. And in the great state of Michigan, sometimes we get to experience all those things in a week, right? But for the most part, we know when to expect these things. Everything has a time, a season that it goes through, even dangerous things. For instance, we've heard a lot about tropical storms and hurricanes this year especially. But it was during what we call hurricane season, right? In other words, we've come to know and expect, even anticipate hurricanes during a certain time of the year. But the only reason we have and recognize these seasons is because God has set those things in place. He is actively governing over his creation according to the covenant that he made with Noah. And it is a good thing. Because otherwise, we would never know, right? We would never know when a hurricane might strike. We would never know when it was safe to plant seeds or harvest. We, we might be caught off guard by a winter and freeze to death because we just weren't prepared. But instead, God has given us these things that we can count on, we can rely on because they are governed over by God himself. That is God's love for his creation. That is God's love for humanity. But how do we know God will keep this covenant? How do we know that God might not get frustrated and do away with it or maybe even just forget about it? It's a reasonable question. And so the last thing we want to look at today is the covenant sign. What is the covenant sign? Read with me, Genesis 9, starting at verse 12. And that God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So because a covenant is a solemn vow, it comes with a sign, something that points back to the covenant all throughout the future. Uh, In the business world, if two companies come to a major agreement, there is a symbol for this. It's the handshake. It's universally recognized all around the world. In the covenant of marriage, there is an exchange of rings because the ring is a circle. There's no beginning and there's no end. It goes on and on and on. It's forever. And so this ring becomes a symbol of the never-ending covenant that you have with each other in marriage. We see this time and time again in the Bible. God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he gives him the sign of circumcision. God makes a covenant with Israel, and he gives him the sign of the Sabbath. And it's really easy to think of these things, these these signs, as uh, something for us, right? So that we would remember, so that we would not forget the covenant that God has made with us. And certainly that is true. It actively has that part. It seems to function in that way for us. But remember, this is a unilateral covenant, This is God's covenant to us. So look again at how this reads. God says, I have set my bow in the clouds and I will remember my covenant. I will see it. I will remember it because this is the covenant that I have established with you. And so to answer our question earlier, does God do this because he could possibly forget the promise? No, (laughs) the answer is no. God does not forget. This This is maybe more of a technical thing, but... In Hebrew, the word remember doesn't have anything to do with the concept of memory uh, or possibly forgetting. It just means to take action, to act upon a previous covenant, a previous promise that is made. And so when God sees the rainbow, God's obligation to never again destroy the earth by a flood remains ever present by his continuous actions to not do so in keeping the covenant. In other words, a rainbow that is in the clouds today brings into the present God's covenant with Noah thousands of years ago. And so this is really important for us. Not just so we don't freak out every time it rains, but because of its deeper meaning here. You remember why God brought the flood, right? Genesis 6, 5, I'll read it again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I wish I could tell you that after the flood, everything was great. That it was all fixed, that the people people denounced their sinful life. They turned, they repented, and they devoted themselves to the Lord. But unfortunately, that's not what we read about. In Genesis 8.21, this is what God says. Right after Noah comes out of the ark, right after Noah makes this sacrificial offering to the Lord, it says that when the Lord smelled the offering, this pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Why? For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So never will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So God is pleased with the sacrifice that Noah has made, but humanity didn't change. 
His sacrifice did not change humanity. The condition of the heart is still the same. It was corrupted by sin. And so as we continue in this story, people continue to murder, to hate, to steal, to turn away from God. So this this wasn't a happily ever after. This wasn't a new beginning for all of humanity. And yet sometimes we find ourselves thinking, man, if I could just start over, if I could just get a fresh start, if I could just do this one thing differently. I mean, we do this every new year, right? We'll, We'll do this in another month. Hey, new year, new you. (laughs) I'm going to do some things differently. I'm going to make some new routines, some new rhythms. I'm going to do better. I'm going to change this area of my life. And how long does that last? Exactly. I mean, I tell my kids to clean their room. (laughs) And it doesn't but take not even a day before the chaos returns. Right? I mean, it's just what happens. So the question is, what is God to then do with us? What is this holy God to do with us sinful people? Well, instead of destroying it all, out of love for his creation, he extends grace and mercy through these covenants that we are looking at. And the sign of the rainbow is very illustrative of this. It's interesting. The word bow is actually the word for a war bow. Like this. Maybe not like this, but... A real one. Something that you would use in war, right? And why would you use a bow in war? Because it is going to bring death and destruction in the war. And when you think of a bow, when you, when you think of a picture in a painting or a history book or, or even a movie, how is it held? It's held up high with an arrow inside of it, string drawn back, ready to fire, ready to bring that death and destruction and judgment. And so what does God do? He turns this bow on its side. And all of a sudden, this symbol of war, this symbol of judgment becomes a symbol of peace. The only time you see a bow like this is after the war is over. It's when the king hangs it up on his mantle or his wall and says, it's done. I'm not in a war. I'm not bringing this kind of judgment right now. This symbol of war becomes a symbol of peace when God hangs it in the clouds. Now, that is what the covenant, that is what this symbol meant to Noah. But if we zoom out, right, if if we take a look at the big picture, we see that all of these covenants are connected, right? The Bible is not just a collection of moral stories for us to learn from. It is one story. It is woven together throughout time by God. And the covenants in this story act as guideposts. They're, They're like stepping stones from one scene to another, helping us connect the dots, so to speak. And in this way, the covenant of Noah points forward in time to a different covenant, to a new covenant, a time when God himself would put on flesh in the person of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time, right? The coming of the Messiah, the promised one, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And Jesus did what Adam, what Noah, and every human before him could not do. He lived the perfect, sinless life of obedience to God the Father, and then he willingly goes to a cross where what happened? God picked up the war bow and pointed it at his one and only son. And Jesus takes the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. And in exchange, we are then credited. We are gifted with his perfect righteousness. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin, Satan, and death itself, turning the cross, another symbol of death and destruction, into a symbol of life and peace and freedom and hope for all who would place their faith in him as Lord and Savior. The problem of sin was finally dealt with on the cross of Christ. And that is good news. It is the good news of the gospel that we have been transformed from the inside out. We have been given a new heart. We have been adopted into the family of God as fellow heirs with Jesus. See, this is how we move from the longing that we have to being lavished with more than we could ever expect or deserve. But this new beginning, this new beginning is found in Jesus alone. And so look, it's okay if you can't wait for 2020 to be over. I am with you, <laughs> like 100%. And I admit that there have been times when I pray, Lord Jesus, come swiftly. Come soon, just take me home. And this struggle is nothing new. God's people have wrestled with it for ages. Hymns have been written about it. Come, Lord, and tarry not. Bring the long-looked-for day. Oh, why these years of waiting here, these ages of decay? Peter even addresses this issue in his second letter to the first century church. He's just referenced the covenant of Noah. He's just talked about how God has put these seasons and these times in place. And what does he say as these Christians are being mocked by the Roman government saying, where's your Jesus? I don't see him. Hey, we still have spring, summer, and winter. Things are going around and around. The sun's still coming up every day. Where's your Lord? Doesn't look like he's coming back. He says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You see, Peter says, Christ is going to return. There is going to be another day of judgment, a final reckoning between God and humanity where death and destruction come to unrepentant sinners once and for all. But it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet because God is patient. God is putting off the day of judgment so that more and more people could be saved by putting their faith in Jesus. So church, as we move into this Advent season, as we begin to celebrate the Christmas season, let's celebrate, let's, let's experience all the joy that we have in this season, but do not let it lull you into a comfortable complacency. I want you to remember that God sent his son 
But I also want you to remember that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower each one of you before then sending us out into the world with this gospel message. You understand that's the primary mission of the church, to alert everyone everywhere to the universal reign and rule of God through Christ. That's our mission. That is our mission. We do it the same way Jesus did, by our works and our words, by demonstration and declaration, but we are not supposed to sit in our own ark of salvation, in our own Christian bubble, twiddling our thumbs until God closes the door, until Christ returns. No, the world needs this message now. We are to share the good news with the lost, with anyone and everyone who will listen. That is the vision that we are casting for Woodside Bible Church, not just to survive, but to thrive in this season. Because people have the longing. They have it. Maybe now more than ever, they have a deep-seated longing for a new beginning. But they're not going to find it in that job, in that man or that woman, in the alcohol, in the drugs, in the toys, in the gadgets. Listen, Amazon cannot deliver this to their front doorstep. Because the new beginning that we are talking about The new beginning that we all desperately need is covenantal. It is between God and us. It is spiritual. It is eternal. And this new beginning is found in Jesus alone. Church, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the timelessness of these eternal covenants that you have made. God, we thank you. We thank you for something as, as little as it seems as the seasons and the, and the way that you faithfully continue to govern your creation. And we're especially thankful for this Advent season, this season where we celebrate the arrival of our Savior, of, of your Son, Jesus Christ. But God, at the same time, We confess that there are times when we know we should say something, but for whatever reason, we don't. There are times when we know we should give ourselves and serve in some way, but we choose our own comfort instead. Now, there are times when we lose focus and we fail to see the eternal impacts of our everyday decisions. So, Father, forgive us, we pray. Forgive us when we forget these things. God, we know that you are actively at work all around us. You are moving in people's lives. You are calling them to repentance. You are drawing them into relationship with you. So would you do a supernatural work inside of us? Would you move in us, in our own lives, and empower us to walk in the good works which you have already prepared for us? God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears so that we can be good stewards of those opportunities as you faithfully present them to us. It's just so much easier to talk about Jesus in Christmas time. Empower us to do this, Lord, we pray as your people. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. 
We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.